yeah. is such a key thing because the amount of times that I get emailed from people after clinics where it's like, oh, I was practicing this for weeks, so often you know, several months and like nothing much was changing. My times were the same. And then I had this one session where it just clicked and I was five, 10 seconds faster. Don't think triathletes, to be honest, have a very good handle on the swimming pacing aspects of the sport. They're really dialed on the bike and they're really dialed on the run. But in terms of pacing, I feel like they're kind of just having a swim before the race starts sometimes. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Clayton Fatale. He raced at a professional level in triathlon for 15 years, and he's currently a full-time triathlon coach with Coa Sports. Clayton and I go back about 10 years. He actually featured in our first Art of Triathlon swimming course. So I knew Clayton is a very good swimmer. He was typically in the front pack and has always been very strong with his swim. So he featured as one of the athletes in our Art of Triathlon swimming course. And on this episode, I asked Clayton, what are some of the key lessons that he learned racing at a pro level that he finds himself passing on to the athletes that he coaches? We also talk about the traits or habits that he sees in those athletes that do improve with their speed and their technique. How hard should you go in a half or full distance Ironman? And what are some of his favorite training sets, his go-to favorite sets that he finds himself programming for the athletes that he works with? So let's jump into the episode with Clayton Fatel. All right, Clayton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, mate. I'm actually very excited to be here, maybe a little bit nervous. I did forget my computer this morning for everyone at home because I put a bit of pressure on myself to perform for, for you today, mate. Oh, well, it's nice that you come ready to go. And uh, now there's a few nerves there. The funny, those, if you're listening to this podcast, that we met through a, through a mutual friend and you're actually in one of the first courses that I recorded, the Art of Triathlon Swimming. So it was you and another professional triathlete, Annabelle Luxford, featured in this course. And we ended up using the footage of you swimming for our, in our clinics for probably six or seven years. So you're our example swimmer because you've got a, a great stroke. I don't know if you still do. You, I'm sure you still do. But yeah, we use, we use the footage of you swimming for, for many, many years just before we replaced you with an Olympian. But you weren't far right? off it. Is that yeah. right? Who, who was the Olympian? Kia Malderton. She trains yeah, up under right. Dean Boxall up in Brisbane. Yeah, I, in, in hindsight, I should have probably asked for a royalty, not the $14 that you, you pay me. <laughs> I was 15, but it was great to show your stroke. And I, when I was looking at that footage, like it was fairly early on in effortless swimming days and just um, looking at what you did in the stroke and great catch, good rotation, great connection, all those sorts of things. It was helpful for me to, to kind of look at that and study it and then try and pass it on to, on to swimmers. And I wanted to um, sort of jump into the, the podcast and just talk about what were some of the highlights from your pro racing career? You did it for about 15 years. What were some of those key highlights for you? Yeah. So obviously I did come from a swimming background. I came from a water polo slash open water swimming background. So I guess, I guess one of the highlights was figuring out a way to transition from that and into being a triathlete. The challenge of being a, being a water polo player is I'm quite a big guy. I always have been quite a bigger person. So to then go and race guys that are half my weight, half my size was quite difficult to begin with. It obviously played into my hand at the start of the race in the water, but and even on the bike, like you look at guys like Craig Walton for the the you know the avid triathlon fans at home that would actually know who he is. He's like a eighty-five to ninety kilo monster. Now those guys don't really exist, and it's a draft legal event, and the non-drafting side of things, which existed in the stage states, which was a two-hour event, is now you know four to eight hours, or it's seventy-point-three in Ironman events. So I, I guess, I guess the highlight for me, highlights for me, maybe to start with, it was actually transitioning into a sport that I loved, and and the transition wasn't quick. Like it took me a few years. In fact, it took it took a good solid ten years for me to be able to piece together the swim, the bike, and the run to be a well-rounded triathlete. Now, compared to the athletes today, they are so well-rounded. There is not a single weakness amongst the athletes up the top. And if I look back at my career majority of us did have have our strengths and weaknesses like if i was to line up against myself i'd know that i'd just have to keep me in touch and then outrun me at the end of the event and the same can be said about the runners whereas now 
there is no weakness because these guys that we race against, they've literally come from triathlon from the age of five and six years old and have done no other sport leading into their professional career. And that is why we're seeing guys win events at, say, 23, 24 on the big stage in Ironman. So highlights on top of what I've gone there with transitioning into being an athlete was just literally being able to race professionally and get paid to do something for 10 years that I love. And the same could be said about my coaching now, like the transition out of racing pro into coaching, I found quite hard. But once I let go of that whole training, I have to go training aspect and I can go and exercise for fun. I really nestled into, into coaching and I'm, to be honest, mate, I'm having more fun coaching now than what I did as an athlete, which really shocks me. Why do you think that is? I always got told when I was younger that I'd be a better coach than athlete. And I found that a little bit disheartening when, when your coach is telling you that. And, you know, it's like being a young teenager, even through like your early 20s, to even late 20s. If my coach said that to me now, I'd think, yeah, you're right. But it was, it was difficult because I still saw myself as a guy that was going to win 15 Olympics and a couple of Konas and I was, I was going to do everything. I was invincible. But once I started to get into life away from triathlon, I had my first kid just after 30, Nixon, and that was when I had to start managing life away from professional racing. And that was where I got a little bit more of a handle or a really hard reality check on what life is all about. And that was when I started to appreciate, appreciate age group triathletes. And I, I said it recently, but to be a really competitive age group triathlete, your life needs to be so in sync with so many other things versus the pro triathlete that would literally train and play PlayStation and eat healthy. So I think in terms of being a coach, it's more complex and I get to work with more people. And it's not just about me. And when I was an athlete, I loved that it was all about me. But I've certainly shifted into a probably a more mature point in my life where I'm seeing all walks of life. We're coaching athletes all around the world and I get to work with so many different cultures and I learn from my athletes. And every single day I learn from my athletes. In fact, every time I come on a podcast like this, I usually regurgitate things that my athletes have given me. And I almost feel like it's it's plagiarism. I've stole I've stolen it off my athletes. Do you think that making that transition from it, you know, it being all about me to it being about about the athletes. Do you feel like some of that has come from becoming a parent? Because I think of the transition that I've had since having kids, it's like I see things very differently now. And I and I can see that like I I, I don't come first anymore. I, I come second. And so I'm much more interested and invested in other people now as a result of it. That's it's kind of what I've felt over the last seven years or so yeah i i agree with that and like i said it was it was a harsh slap in the face because and when i say a harsh slap in the face it was a five-year slap in the face my transition out of being a professional athlete personally i really struggled i fell into a almost call it a depressive state i was really quite low in my mood for a long period of time and there was a lot of anxiety about who am i what am i going to do i didn't think i would i'd go through that but it was only earlier this year, I was sitting in Italy with my wife and I wasn't even thinking about triathlon. And that was, that was one of those pivotal, pivotal moments in my life where I realized I had made the transition. It was, it was nice because I'd been basically trying to go against the grain for the five years prior to that. And it was like, okay, I've let go of that now, moving into the next chapter. And since I've accepted that I'm not a professional triathlete, my coaching has begun, begun to flourish. My performance as a coach is, is much, much better. I'm much more present with my athletes. But more importantly, as a, as a husband and a dad, I'm actually there for my kids. Whereas the last five years, if I was a fly on the ward, I'd hate to see how I was performing at home. <laughs> is that something that you felt at the time? Like you knew deep down, like, okay, I'm not. I feel like I could be much better at home or is that something that you've just realized in the last 12 months? I wasn't, I wasn't aware of how, how vacant I was, but I was literally just, I don't really love the saying in your head, but I was like, I was just, I was just in my head and I didn't really know what to do or how to do it. 
I was getting, I was torn between, am I a coach? Am I a professional athlete? And I knew I was one or the other. And I hadn't, I kind of hadn't let go of that. I'm a professional athlete. Like I'd, I'd literally wanted to be nothing but a professional sportsman, you know, since I was 10 years old. And that's all I cared about. I went through school. I didn't, I didn't try at school. As soon as I finished school, I went straight over to Europe and raced as a professional athlete in Germany in a, in a team. And I stayed on the road for 10 years in Europe. And then I, I then migrated across to the US and, and had a five year long course career based out of Boulder, Colorado. And I was living the dream. And don't get me wrong, as an anxious person, there were ebbs and flows all throughout my career. And there were periods where motivation was super low. But the transition as an anxious guy is hard. And that was the first major transition I've had to make in my life. And in terms of life transitions now, it's it's something I'm interested in and it's something that I'm, it's hard, It's funny because I'm actually grateful I went through it because I can see it in my own athletes and it's all the, I look back on my career and all, all the, all the bad periods I had in my career, like, you know, I only had like five, six major, major wins, you know, but I'd go and race 30, 40 times a year. So you get really good at losing, but as hard as all of those losses were, I'm now such a experienced coach because of every single one of those losses. And I see an athlete now, like an up and coming pro, I work with a few up and coming pros and they have a bad race. And I have to remember that I was like that once. And that's really hard because I remember a really, Bill Davron, who was a triathlon Australia head coach before Beijing, he goes, Bodo, you need to put an old head on young shoulders. But you know, piss off Bill. Like, <laughs> I'm smart, I'm experienced, I'm gonna win Beijing Olympics, blah, blah, blah. But as you know, mate, like, we, you can study as much as you want, but in terms of being a good coach, for me anyway, I'm sure you probably agree, it's just reflecting or, or, or actually experiencing things that weren't that comfortable at the time. Mm. And it's, it can be hard to convey that to the athletes and give your knowledge, your experience to them. Sometimes they just have to go through it. Sometimes they have to go through that bad race and feel those feelings, be frustrated, be pissed off. And there's nothing that you can say that's going to help them change that, except it's how you can then help them get back up from it. But it does, it does make a difference having been through those experiences. And I, I was saying this on a podcast recently where when I look back, it's those times in my life that were the hardest that I, at the time were very uncomfortable and yeah, at the time were not, not great, but coming out of that, some of the best things have, have happened for me. So it's, at the time, it's hard to accept it, but in hindsight, I'm so glad all of those things happened. So it's evidence. And, and I try and remind myself when I'm going through a challenging time, I'm like, this will, that something positive will come out of it, but it is hard to accept that at the time. You can't see the other end of the tunnel. I guess the turning point is when you, you surrender. You put your mm. hands up and you surrender. It's like, hit me. And then you realize <laughs> nothing actually happens. And then that's when you can start moving forwards with it. And, and you said it, accepting the situation you're in. And my situation was I was getting pulled in multiple directions and I'm an all-in personality. So if I'm all-in and being a professional triathlete, there's nothing else in the world. We're talking about it before. I need to be all-in on, on what I'm doing with coaching. It's like you have to, you have, to have boundaries and to, to be the best coach, you have to say no to a lot of things so you can prioritize what really matters. And that for me and also for you is, is being the best coach you can be. Mm -hmm. it's, it's good to see you haven't lost your competitive spirit though. You've you put out the challenge on Instagram the other week. We're planning to go head to head in February in Noosa in a 1K race. That makes me nervous, you know, because I, I, you were faster, I think, as a, like for your 400 freestyle time was like, what, four minutes or something? Uh, or do I think it, hang on. Let's, I think we need to just wind it back a bit. Who, so who was the, the, the short to middle distance freestyler? Well, that depends <laughs> how you classify yourself. <laughs> but I think the fastest 400 I did was maybe 412 long course. That was probably my best 400. Um, yeah. 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 I was so, somewhere, somewhere there, mate. So 404. Okay. So, 404. Yeah. But, uh, so anyway, I better get training anyway. But. I haven't been training. My face barely fits on this screen. So I've got, <laughs> what have I got? I've got two, two months, two months till Noosa. We're going to have, a, is, have a, a red v blue showdown at, at Noosa Beach. Come on down. 
bring it on. <laughs> uh, now, in terms of like you, you coach swimmers in person outside of your triathletes that you're, you're coaching. What do you see in terms of the traits and the habits of those people that progress and improve in their swimming? So in terms of just my pool, like just a pool swimmer? Either or, whether it's pool swimmers, triathletes, just general traits or habits that you see for those people that, that do improve over time. Because you do have swimmers that, or, and triathletes that stay at a plateau, they, they're stuck, they never, never improve. And then you do have yep. swimmers that do make these incremental gains over years. So is there anything yep. that stands out to you or comes to mind with that? Yeah, I think, I think the best type of athlete are the ones that improve the most are quite receptive and and I think I think the the communication point from me as a coach to the athlete is the most important part. So when I first started coaching as a professional, I just assumed that everybody had the same assumed knowledge that I did as a coach and, mm. and with a 15-year swimming background. So I found that I was overloading my swimmers with too much information and I would see them push off the wall and they're almost in this frozen state where they weren't digesting anything I said. So the gateway between coach and athlete for me got really, really simple. And I've had to draw that right back to one or two areas to focus on. And, and for me, that's I, I, like as a coach, I usually go straight to body position first and foremost, and then I'll work on the, the arms and the legs. I find, I find if the body position is stable enough and you can perform drills like rotation or swordfish or, or six-kick switch effectively, the arms and the legs can be then used for forward propulsion. And with the triathletes I coach, I find going back to that really, really basic step-by-step approach to be quite effective. Even your swimmers, like I worked with Michael Sage up at Kiwana a few years ago, and he was coaching quite a few Australian open water swimmers and, and some really good open national swimmers as well, sort of all various strokes. And a lot of their sessions is all about setup. So they'll set themselves up. And, and when you break down the traits of those that were affected, the, the swimmers that were successful and the swimmers that weren't, they placed heavy, heavy emphasis on setting themselves up to perform their main sets well. Whereas I don't mean to categorize too much, but the clubby athletes that I predominantly took care of, their technical focus on their swimming just wasn't there. They'll jump in, they'll just see the drills as warming up and waiting for the main set to break that down even further. They waited for the last effort and the person that won the last effort was the king. So that, that mentality in surf is still there. I love it. I love going and watching surf club athletes, but the best swimmers or the best triathletes are really quite receptive and, and, and they're open to learn new skills and they're prepared to go right back to the basics. So like an Olympic, like Chelsea Gubecker I worked with, the, the amount of time she spent on her setup, this is a girl that can swim. 10Ks with nasal breathing at 110s, you know, like she would go back and spend an hour just setting her stroke up well and do all these various stroke rate changes, body position drills, like stuff that she learned as a 10-year-old girl. But she placed so much emphasis on it. Then when she got to her main set, she swam and performed that so much better. So I think that's a trait as an athlete. If, if you can or if you do have that trait as a person or an athlete, to, to look at a swim set more as more than just a main set, you're, you're more inclined to be successful. And triathletes, again, without categorizing too much like clubbies, I've done it as well as an when I was an athlete, would go to the pool, would jump in, would do 100 meters, 200 meters, put the pool boy paddles on without a band, kick our way through 10 200s on whatever, warm down 3K, tick, done, session's done. Don't have to swim for two days, sweet. So... <laughs> With, with the swimmers or the triathletes I work with now, I, especially triathletes, I, I have to really install into them that triathlon is a three-sports sport. <laughs> they have to, if you want to run well, you have to swim and bike well. In fact, if you want to run well, there's more emphasis on the swim and the bike than the run. So that's a really hard thing to get across, especially as an age group athlete that hasn't come from a swimming background. Their, their desire to swim is really quite low. Mm. Yeah, they don't, so many people don't love it. And why would you love something you can't do that doesn't feel good initially because you haven't got that rhythm and that flow, yep. but it's, it's something that can absolutely change as you start to see that improvement and progression and you start to feel like you can swim well too. 
I, and I think when you know what you need to work on to get better, that's also very motivating because then you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You can actually see what you could become with it. Yep. And I think you're so right with in terms of the drills and, and setting up where a lot of swimmers are just they they want to get the workout in. Understandably, they might be they might have 45 minutes or an hour before work, and they just want to get that they they want to get that bars of having the workout done and just getting through it. But yeah. swimming is just such a technical sport that if you were to spend, even if it was like I say to swimmers, if you do two to 400 meters of drill swim work in your warm up that's specific and highly focused, mm-hmm. and you do that every session, six 12 months down the track, you're going to see the results of it, even though you might not see it straight away. But it's just, it's just such an important time within the workout to set yourself up, whether it's getting your, your catch right, getting your, your body position right. But it's just so easy to skip, skip over it. And even like elites, high-level swimmers that I've worked with, they're still focusing on those simple things like head position. And I had Kyle Chalmers on the podcast, and he was saying on his non-breathing side, he's mm. got to remind himself to rotate that little bit more because he tends to be a bit too flat. Yeah. Like this is the fastest guy over 100 meters in the world. And yep. it's like he's still thinking about this stuff. So if you as an adult learner aren't, aren't thinking about it, well, like you're just, you're just not going to improve if you don't do it. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And it's, it's funny because Chalmers probably had coaches in his ear as a 15-year-old boy, Cole, you're flat, Cole, you're flat, Cole, you're flat. <laughs> and you're probably the same, mate. Like I, I can rattle off five different coaches I've worked with that have told me different things along the way. Like Dennis, Dennis Cottrell, he's like, Clayton, there's no continuity. There's no continuity. And it took me, took me probably a year to figure out what that word actually meant when I finally Googled it. But JR used to just some of JR a little bit with, with Nick Sloman in Noosa and, you know, JR used to just do these signals with his hands. I'm like, what does that mean? You do these kicking things. Like, I'm like, yeah, I get it. I've got to kick. But you do these hands, kick, kick, kick. And I'd come in. He's like, Clayton, don't waste your kick. You're wasting your kick. So, And those things have stuck with me to the point where now I'm not a competitive athlete, but I'll go and swim. And I remember Dennis, continuity, don't waste your kick. And they're the things I've been fed that I recognize first in the athletes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you see, you, whatever you need to work on yourself, you see it in, in the athletes. I, I find that if I've done filming recently, so we did this filming like wetsuit versus non-wetsuit, how much faster is it? I was watching back that footage because I hadn't seen myself swim for a while and I could see, okay, my head's too too low. I'm sort of bobbing up and down a bit. My left-hand catch isn't very effective and I was – pushing back too far so my recovery was a little bit wide and wide and flat so next the next week when I was analyzing the swimmers that I'm working with I could spot that I could spot that in quite a few of them whereas yep. previously you know I hadn't probably noticed it as much so you really start yeah. to it's like when you get a new car you just see that car everywhere yep. how, hey, I've got a question how much quicker was the wetsuit for the testing you did yeah, for me it was well six percent quicker. So I was did a two hundred meter test. I went two twelve with the wetsuit. Yeah. I went no two thirteen, went two oh five with the wetsuit, and then a two oh one drafting behind Sam Shepard. So yeah, it was six percent quicker. But then there was a guy who I know in Melbourne. He was actually ten percent quicker. So he was like a two. What he do? Maybe a two thirty, two forty without it, and mm. then he was however much quicker. And I guess like. The slower you are, the worse your body position, the faster yeah. that wetsuit is going to be for you. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow. I, I mean, the thing with triathlon is you wear a wetsuit and you swim hard, of course, but it also helps you control your heart rate a little bit better. It's like using pull blow paddles. So, the, you know, the fastest the race, but we just, I just got back from Western Australia and it was a wetsuit swim and the swim times weren't fast, but Australian records fell because basically you've performed 45 to 50 minutes of swimming assisted you're getting out in a better position than if you've gone and swam 45 to 50 minutes in the ocean without a wetsuit and it always it always blows my mind in triathlon in fact it frustrates me how compromised the swim actually is like at, you know an Ironman event I used to spend 45 minutes in the water four to four and a half hours on the bike and then get off and run three hours for a marathon and I remember doing, I remember doing this one race in Lubbock in Texas and it was boiling hot. Like it must have been 
40 degrees and the lake was filthy. And I was like, thank God, it's going to be a non-wetsuit. So as a swimmer, I wanted freshwater lake, non-wetsuit. So I targeted this event and I watched the race referee go out with a thermometer. I'm like, oh, sweet, they're going to grab a temperature. They went to the middle of the lake and they literally tied this bungee cord to this thermometer, threw it to the bottom of the lake, <laughs> pulled it back up. But our cutoff is like, I think it was 21.9 or something. Anyway, they've, they've, pulled, they've pulled the thermometer off. Mate, you wouldn't believe it. 21.8, wetsuit swim. <laughs> so I, I, had a, I had a terrible race. I remember driving straight back across to Colorado and I didn't say a word to Kendall, but the, the swimming component of the triathlon, I would wish it would change, but I can't see it changing because the sport Ironman is a business and naturally they're trying to attract numbers and the general population don't swim well. Mm. Yeah, and I guess the the upside to, to that as a triathlete is if you can get your swim to a good spot, you can set yourself up really well for the rest of the race. And I know it's something that's very frustrating for the majority of, of people, mm. but there are things that you can do to... You know, to, to work on it. And I like what you were saying about get the body position right first and then, then you can work on the other things. But I, I can't remember who I heard it from, but there was a coach who said you should swim from the inside out. So you've got to basically keep your core, keep your hips. You've got to keep this controlled. If yeah. this is like a wet noodle in the middle, nothing's going to, to be able to connect up. And so yeah, we start with head, body, just get the body position sorted. Then you can start to, to go from there. And even yeah. like, Sometimes 70, 80% of the people who, who attend our clinics, their head position's too far forwards or even, even too deep. Like that simple basic thing that everyone can get right, even that alone is like often people are getting it wrong. And me as well, like I was too deep. When I go fast, I put my head too deep. And it wasn't until I saw myself filmed and I looked at my form goggles data as well, where it shows you the head pitch. And that was, it was just too low. So yeah. like even these simple basic things that people think they've got sorted, are often not, not, yeah. not there. Yeah, I'm hearing you. And, and you need to be constantly reminded. Like I tell all the guys I work with, all my athletes, I'm like, swimming is not like biking around. Like if you want to get good on the bike, you go and sit on the bike and you ride the thing. You want to get good at running, you go and perform running a lot without getting injured. That's a rabbit hole in itself. With swimming, it's, it's not as forceful. It's not as, it's not as powerful. Like you can, you know, you and I could jump in this 1K and still get beaten by one of JR's 14-year-old girls up at Noosa. We probably will. And, and that's because it comes so much, so much back to a, a technically heavy sport. And I think if, if you're new to the sport, if you're not putting a heavy emphasis on being technically decent enough swimmer as a triathlete, you're, you're, missing, the whole, you're missing the whole sport itself as a swimmer. And, you know, like... I think it's like, you know, you have a physio, you have a masseuse. You almost have to dissect your swimming to a point where it's like, have your technical aspect, train the technical aspect, and then have your other stuff, have like the cardio effect of swimming. And I don't think a lot of triathletes, in fact, I'll say 90 plus percent of the triathletes around the world don't do that. And I, I, it's hard for me to do it, but, you know, like just I'm an online provider. I get to see my athletes sort of sort of quarterly or at, a, at an event here or there but i love i literally just send guys to see you <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you've seen you've seen a few of my athletes and it's you know giving them homework to take home work on it and then readdress it you know three six months down the track i think is really important and and if swimmers or triathletes rather are looking to improve their their swimming more so improve their overall triathlon performance you need to go right back to the start and technically learn how to do something. There, there's such a heavy skill set component in swimming that the bike and run don't have. And triathletes need to see that because the, the, the general triathlete is quite tight one and they think more, harder, faster is better. But swimming is not, you're not rewarded with, with that. So my advice to people at home that do want to be better triathletes, start with swimming properly, technically swimming properly, and then look to add to that. Mm, yeah, I completely agree. And there's always, obviously, there's the fitness element to it. If you're brand new to it, it takes it takes a little bit to get the muscularly and and cardio wise as well, just to get the the reps in so that you're not completely gassed. Of course, there's that element to it, but as you said, it, it's such a technical thing that get like just focus on that first. And if if you can persist with 
the, your focus for several months and not be worried about seeing the results of that focus for several months. Yeah. That is such a key thing because the amount of times that I get emailed from people after clinics where it's like, oh, I was practicing this for weeks, so often you know, several months and like nothing much was changing. My times were the same. And then I had this one session where it just clicked and I was five, 10 seconds faster. Like it, it happens all the time where you feel like this, all this work you're putting in, all this attention that you're giving to your stroke isn't paying off straight away while well, you're not wasting your time. Like it just, it, it just takes time to develop that, that muscle memory. And the way that you swim right now is just that muscle memory that you've got. And so for us to make some changes to it, well, we've just got to be consistent and frequent with those, with those changes and do those things in, in your warm up to set yourself up. So it's, yeah, I agree. And it's, I think for triathletes, mate, it's, it's more so not being afraid to put themselves in the deep end, so to speak, but, and actually take it, like, it's quite overwhelming for tri, like triathletes don't like swimming. I've got a lot of athletes that are actually scared of swimming in the open water. So why would they go and technically look at how they swim? It's almost easier just to neglect that component of, of the sport. And I think if you look at a lot of triathletes, they tend to spend too much time looking at how the best athletes in the world swim. And what we need to realize is you have to be real with what you're trying to achieve from the sport. And to be a really good triathlete, you technically don't need to be great, but you need to figure out a way to be efficient. And to get to that point, you need to work with a professional or you need to have somebody overlooking what you're doing with your stroke and make those subtle changes. Like that's something I'm really aware of is when I start technically giving out advice to swimmers that don't have a swimming background is I just, like I said earlier, I just simplify it so much to the point it's just one thing to work on. And you know, like the head, for example, the heaviest part of your body in, in the water, if you can change your head position, there is a domino effect down the chain where other things will improve. So if I can get a swimmer who's not receptive to change just to keep their face in the water, <laughs> that's a win. And then mm. two weeks later, I'll try and add something. So it, you talk about being a slow process, it really is like to make change. I think like the habitual change is 28 days, they say. So, and you see that with fatigue swimmers, like it, you know, like we all revert back to, to what we've always known, but to try and sort of plant those new techniques into our swimming, it's a real step-by-step -step and it's something you do need to revisit. So, you know, like Jake, for example, one of my boys, he came and saw you like two weeks ago. It's like, all right, let's make, he you gave him changes to make revisit again in six months time see what you've done make sure you do your homework if you're going to spend the money and take the time out of your life to make those changes i think it needs to be sort of a consistent part of what you're trying to achieve as an as an athlete before we dive into the rest of today's podcast episode this episode is proudly brought to you by form smart swim goggles they've been a long time sponsor of the podcast and they are my go-to goggles when it comes to tracking my training sessions and being able to see what's happening in real time through the goggles. And we know swimming is a highly technical sport, but without the guidance of a coach on deck, identifying and addressing technique flaws can be a challenge. They've recently added a new feature to the goggles, head coach, and this addresses that problem head on. It gives swimmers improved access to their technique awareness, focus skill development, and in-app education and analysis. Head Coach provides real-time visual coaching via the Form Smart Swim Goggles augmented reality display. During and after a swim, Head Coach provides swimmers with technique feedback using two types of metrics, Form Score and Head Coach Skills. Form Score is a measurement of overall swim efficiency ranging from zero to 100, defined by your pace and your stroke length. Head coach skills encompasses five key areas that will help you identify where to focus on improving with your efficiency. Head roll, head pitch, set pacing, interval pacing, and breathing time to neutral. And after completing a session, you can check back in on the form app to track your progress. And head coach provides swimmers from beginner to expert with an unprecedented level of data-driven guidance and understanding, enabling you to boost your performance and your speed. Get your pair of Form Smart Swim Goggles today. Click the link in our podcast description or use the code effortless on checkout to get 15% off your Form Smart Swim Goggles. Yeah, absolutely. And what I recommend for people who come along to our clinics is if, if you can get effortless 10 on checkout to get 10% off or form smart swim goggles. Yeah, absolutely. And I, what I recommend for people who come along to our clinics is if, if you can get another video in three months time 
four months time, that's, that's a good amount of time. Or even like everyone's got a phone and there's a good chance a friend or a colleague could just film you at the pool just to check in on how those things are going because there is a big disconnect from what we think we're doing to what we're actually doing. And mm. the video doesn't lie. And when I saw that footage of me two weeks ago, I'm like, all right, like this is, and I, I compared it to Sam Shepard, who was, who I was drafting off. And he's, he just missed out on the Olympic team in the 10 or 25K event. Like very, very good swimmer. And I could see just how much more water he was holding on his, his left-hand side. And here I am thinking like, um, I'm actually doing pretty well with it, but there was a big, big gap there. And so I think you need that visual feedback to really take it on board and then yeah. to understand what you need to, to change. It's, it's quite difficult to change. Otherwise you can still do it. Like yeah. you know, I have people who might just follow along with like our eight week course and they'll improve. People can absolutely do it, but there's nothing better than just seeing yourself swim. And in, I'd say in most cases, there's no excuse to not getting footage. I know some pools are very strict about it, but Sometimes you can just be sneaky and get some footage and, you know, yeah, you yeah. find yeah. a way to do it. I ask, I always ask my athletes to send footage and we've got athletes all around the world and some of the footage is always pretty fun to watch. <laughs> There's some shocking footage. I've got footage of fingers all over the phone. But, yeah, see, and again, like you said, people have never seen themselves swim. I ask them, can you please film? Just do 50 metres easy, easier than whatever they're training for, the 50 metres of that perceived effort. And... I'll get a long message from them saying, <laughs> I can actually see what I'm doing wrong already before yeah. I even propose anything. So then it makes my job easier. I come back and say, well, as you can see, your head position isn't right. And coming back to head position, the most basic thing as a triathlete, it's so easy to look for a can and then not plant your head back flat into the water. I see a lot of, mm. a lot of athletes, me included, I'll just, you know, skin my eyes under the water, let my legs drag. So just a simple cue, reset, reset, look, sight, reset, look, reset. And Bustleton on the weekend, it was a really good swim course because we had a, we've got to remember which way the wind goes onshore over there. We had a, we had a westerly onshore wind at Busso and we had to swim, the athletes had to swim into the chop and then turn around and swim with the, with the chop behind them. So it was almost like a, like a downwinder. And the three days leading in, we didn't do much training other than technically learning how to swim, teach my athletes how to swim into the chop. And for me to teach that, I had to go out and practice it and remember <laughs> what works best because I'll swim behind guys like Kai Hurst and just watch them plow through chops like they're in the pool. But that's, again, coming back to learning experiences. I learned how to swim in the chop by that guy destroying me at a Byron Bay swim 15 years ago. I was like, wow, he's <laughs> face is so deep in the water his stroke rates completely changed into the chop and then i remember cutting back where we had to cut back from out wide and then we had we had the chop behind us and the way that he kind of zigzagged through the ocean and chased runners that was something i learned and then i've taken yeah. that board and now i'm teaching my athletes how to do it so it's it's amazing how you how your curriculum is is pieced together but yeah having the having the opportunity to sit behind someone like kai and seeing somebody like that in 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 their natural habitat was was pretty cool it's such a an amazing skill to see in practice like watching watching sam shepherd when he raced peter pub against mac horton so olympic gold medalist in the 400 free so max max a faster swimmer than sam but sam was just able to draft off him for 95 percent of the way and then he just came over the top caught a wave and beat him at peter pub which is our our local race down here in melbourne and it's it's just all comes down to those skills I, I I imagine someone listening to this is going. Oh, what did you What did you tell them about swimming into the shop? How should you change your stroke compared to when you're going with it? What What are some yeah. of those things that you'd advise them to do? Yeah. So again, of course, like depending on the angle of the chop. So for us, it was more of like a like a head cross chop. So on the way out, so swimming into the chop, I just told my guys to to rate up. So rate up a little bit. Not. Not too much because you get to a point where you, you move beyond your sweet spot and you sit in a threshold and you don't want to spend that too much time at threshold where you're lactating in a 10-hour event. So basically, it's like subtly increase your rate, keep your face in the water. If you do have feet to follow, put trust in the person in front and follow those feet. Obviously, you're going to look to the cans. When sighting those cans, I just told my guys to do it on the top of a peak. So instead of lifting your head up when you're down in the trough and just seeing the chop in front or the feet in front, time it, like get your timing right, like without 
sounding too Byron Bay, be a little bit in touch with the ocean because the guys that are the best at swimming in the ocean really are in touch with their surroundings. In into the chop as well, like this this was actually interesting for me. Like I played around with my head position into the chop over there and I had to go really quite deep with my head to plough through the waves. So the reason I do that or the reason I prescribe that is so you're not swimming up and over every single chop versus swimming through the chop. Through the chop is a lot faster than up and over every single wave and, and the distance that you're going to swim by going up and over every single chop is far greater than going through the wave. So having the ability to stroke through the waves, technically it is hard, but it is, again, something that you do need to practice. When you do turn around, it's a little bit, little bit more of a fun time. Turn around. The, the chop behind, like I said, it's like a downwinder where you're chasing bumps, so to speak. It wasn't quite powerful enough for that, but that's where I got my athletes just to bring their feet into play. The feet kind of becomes the, the motor, the legs, the kick rather, and you can slow your rate down a little bit. Something with that downwind section, that's like, you know, I, I and the way that the race went over there, it was very much, you know, headwind, tailwind, headwind, tailwind. So it was, you know, on the bike, it's like make yourself as small as possible when you're going into the headwind. When you've got a tailwind, you can relax your body position a little bit and push a heavier gear to get a really nice speed for less power. With that, with that swimming into the chop, one thing I did find interesting and I played around with, I don't know if you've played around with it, is I almost went to like an anchor or like a three-quarter catch-up from the way out. And I found that provided pretty nice stability in terms of having an arm out and an arm out in front and semi body surfing that hand in front. Uh, on the way back, it wasn't so much. It was just right up when I felt a chop, kick when I felt a chop. So the only, like I said, the only way to get good at doing this stuff is to put yourself in pretty horrid conditions and learn how to do it. Mm. Yeah. When I was training for right now, a couple of years back, every Wednesday we'd go out and do our, our longer swim just out mm. at half moon Bay in Melbourne. And we had some great days, super flat. And we had some days that were, felt like you're out in the surf and you've, the more you do it, you, you just tend to figure out what works and then you don't have to think about this stuff too much. And it just comes, comes naturally and, and being in tune with the ocean, like you were saying, and there's no, there's no shortcuts to it. You've just got to get that experience. You can practice a little bit in the pool. If you get to you know draft off people, swim in a pack, but it's just, it's not the same. So you do need that, that experience. And I know it's hard for some people, depending on where they live, they're not near a body of water that's, yeah. that's open water. But yeah, if you, can, if you can try and replicate it as much as possible, it's, it helps a lot. And if you've got something like a, like a team, like you guys have got, and you can go and practice that stuff mm. before a race, it's a huge advantage. And even just in the confidence of them going out there, they're going, all right, well, I know it's going to be this headwind and then this tailwind. I, I know two or three key things that I've got to focus on. Like that... Sometimes that's all you need to provide as a coach. It's like you don't need to over-instruct them on what to do. It's like just give them, what, give them the things that are going to give them the confidence going out there and, and that knowledge they feel like will, will help take them to where they need to be with it. So I think yeah. that's great. Yeah, it was, it was good fun. And like, a, like, you know, I've very much gone boots on ground. But to relearn as a coach, like you just said earlier, with refilming yourself, I think we need to put ourselves as coaches back in the water sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, if I'm swimming regularly, I learn a lot from just my own my own swimming, and yep. then that plays a part in the coaching. I want to go back to one thing that you were talking about in terms of effort level in the swim. So, say for a half or full distance Ironman, as a professional triathlete, what yep. sort of effort would you be putting in to the to the swim? What would be the maximum that you'd want to be working at in terms of perceived effort? Maybe yep. zones. Yeah, so I go off I go off a percentage, and I know what those percentages feel like. I guess in swimming terms, they talk A1, A2, A3. In triathlon terms, we talk percentage of threshold. The thing that has shifted over the years with threshold is it used to be a one-hour threshold. Now everything is a, an FTP. It's a functional threshold test, and it's, it's a 20-minute best effort. So to go off my one-hour threshold, for, for an Olympic distance, for example, I'd go 96 to 100% of my threshold. Okay, so then I'd drop up, I'd kick up to the half Ironman. I'd go 92 to 96% of my threshold. And then an Olympic distance, I'd go 86 to 92% of that threshold number. So that's, that's more so threshold, threshold heart rate. Uh, I find obviously the nature of racing in the open water, you can't really go threshold pace. 
And on, on the day, it's very much threshold in terms of perceived effort because the, the thing with swimming versus the bike and run is we don't have the devices to tell us exactly where to sit. You can have your heart rate strap. I do find that you're not really going to be in a position to be looking at your heart rate in the water. So I know, I know what that feels like in terms of sweet spot in it. My athletes, you know, they, they should as well. In terms of setting yourself up and getting a really good gauge of, of what percentage you're swimming at, something Sagey used to do is, you know, I spoke about technically setting yourself up, but then you'd set your paces up. So every single set, three 100s to set A1, A2, A3. So basically you're testing, you know, the, the, the aerobic capacity, like you might go from, you know, 65 up to 80%, for example. And for me, that would look like a 116, 114, 112. And I used to try and get that pace as old as I could, you know, and then I'd get the pace back and I used to try and get it to the second. And, you know, it's like you come from a swimming background, you can almost get your stroke rate and the time without anyone even telling you, you know what it feels like. But I think, I think that's something really good to include in your swimming as well, because it does give you a bit of a gauge of where you're at on each given day. So mm. it's nice. I always use it. Like I might, I might warm up, do your, do your, do your technical focus, and then you'll activate with a bit of speed or, or do, do a pace check like the three 100s I spoke about, grab your heart rate. If there is that heart rate suppression, it's like, okay, I'm carrying a little bit of fatigue today. Or if there is that, you know, elevated heart rate for what your normal 112 is, it's like, okay, I'm maybe carrying a bit of sickness to the extent where that may even, if it's, if it's out of proportion, you know, like 10 beats away from where you normally sit, that may even dictate what your set looks like. So something I'm trying to train into my triathletes is that don't have that background as a swimmer. You know, we spent 15 years as swimmers, mate, like We've looked at a pace clock every, almost every single 50, 100, 150, 200. We had someone telling us our rates. So we were educated from such a young age of what it feels like to swim a 115 to the point where I'm sure you'll probably agree. I used to dictate it just by, you know, a two beat, four beat, six, six beat kick. And that's one of the biggest changes I've seen in swimming at a top level is the whole two, four, six beat kick doesn't really exist anymore. And when I get in the pool and start doing a two-beat kick, I feel really quite old. And I see the younger guys looking at me like, oh, look, he's one of those old guys that does the two-beat kicks. Just like the way I used to watch the old guys pull their togs up really high with no goggles do one of those belly flop dives. Remember those? <laughs> see the belly flop dive. So, yeah, in, in terms of – sorry, getting back to the pacing of your swim, you do want to have a little bit of an idea of perceived effort. Because the other two disciplines in triathlon, like the bike very much goes off power and heart rate and the run almost goes solely off pace. I do suggest heart rate though on those other two disciplines because on the bike, for example, 200 watts in Melbourne isn't the same heart rate, you know, isn't the same heart rate for 200 watts in say Cairns where the humidity is super mm. high. So you see that a lot where guys will come out of Melbourne. You know, they'll go and race Ironman cans and they're like, oh, I don't know what happened. I averaged 200 watts. It's like, yeah, your heart rate was 40 beats higher in cans and you did no heat adaptation work. Same we said, you've swum in soup up at Port Douglas. They make you wear a wetsuit because they're worried about the Uruganges that are, you know, being stung by or beaten by a crocodile, whatever. So, you know, you have to, you have to train for what, what, what you're, you know, you have to target specific events and train specifically for what you're trying to achieve. And I don't think triathletes, to be honest, have a very good handle on the swimming pacing aspects of the sport. They're really dialed on the bike and they're really dialed on the run. But in terms of pacing, I feel like they're kind of just having a swim before the race starts sometimes. Mm. Yeah, that's an, a, another difference with, with swimming is that like if you, the perceived effort is such a, such a big one because you don't have that feedback in a race. And if you can start to become really in tune with, how you're feeling, mm -hmm. then it's going to help you long term. So, like I, I recommend to people at least like once a week do a swim without your Garmin, without your form goggles. Like just do something where you have to use this, the pace clock on the wall and just go by feel. And you you'll probably become much more aware of of, of what's happening and how you're feeling, and you know you, you'll become in tune with it there. I mean, I feel like I I don't really. I would rarely ever swim with a with a garment. I'd use my form goggles in a, in a couple of sessions because I just for the pace feedback. 
But if I'm if I do use a Garmin, I just feel distracted from everything, and yeah. I find I don't I don't swim as as well. So I think it's good just to get rid of some of the tech and just oh, do mate. some swims without it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it I, probably makes us feel old. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember having coaches make us take our wristwatch off the wall growing up. You weren't allowed to swim in a watch. Versus now, I'll see my athletes jump in the water with a with a device. They'll have a have the Garmin on. They have a wood on the other side, then a then a heart rate strap on their temple under their goggles with their form goggles as well. So <laughs> there's there's a fair bit going on, and and I think it can be paralysis by analysis. And if if you're so like going back to what we we're speaking about earlier, there's too much emphasis on just cardio training in triathlon. And with the swimming component, you need to dissect that further and put more emphasis on just technically performing the sport well. And no device is going to help you to do that. I think a form goggle is really great where you can get your, your immediate feedback in terms of a stroke rate or, or a lap time if you are to go to the pool on your own. That's, that's, that's beneficial. But if you're trying to perform drills prescribed by a professional, do you need to know what your heart rate is? Definitely not. Do you need all these things on your wrist? Definitely not. In fact, I'd say get rid of them get back to the roots, get back to the real basics of the sport because there's five, six, seven-year-old kids learning without heart rate straps and without music in their ears. It's like we live in this this world where we're just flooded with information, too much information. And to get good at something, you need to simplify. And Grant Giles is my old coach. He, you know, and, and being the anxious guy that I am and I was as an athlete, he used to send me up to, you know, high-attitude places where I couldn't take a phone for weeks and months and he's like don't get on your phone don't get on twitter and i'm like all right so i remember going up to a thread boat one year i wasn't fit when i went up there i had three or four weeks up there prior and i got super fit in the three or four weeks and then i came down for geelong 70.3 and i thought oh i'm gonna get smashed anyway i'm, I'm too tired i've done this attitude i've come down too late which now i know actually makes sense and i ended up winning the race and it wasn't my fitness level. It was just the level of calm that I was in when I raced and I was so relaxed. And that came from just, I guess, I guess taking a step back from, from information. And that, that to me is such an important part of the sport. And sometimes it's nice to go for a ride or to go for a run and go naked, so to speak, and just get back to the fundamentals of why we're doing this sport and try and move away from the, the whole achievement side of things. And the irony is, you probably perform better anyway. So hmm. forget about the people who are looking at how you train on Strava. Forget about, you know, getting home and getting kudos because it means nothing. You, you don't get kudos on race day. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll clap and I'll yell at you, but I couldn't care less. Like in terms of people that train well, they're, best, they're, they're the, be the best guys do it alone. And you look at the best professional athletes in the world, they're not sharing too much information. Or if they are sharing information, there's holes in it which leaves hacks like me at home or coaches like me at home looking further into their prep to trying to figure out what the hell they're doing so I can then potentially take it with a grain of salt and salt and move it onto my athlete. So with, with swimming, you know, and it's if you're a non-swimmer, one thing non-swimmers struggle with is being relaxed in the water. So by, by kind of getting rid of that one thing where you're like, my heart rate needs to be 160, it's like, no, no. You need to have a have a stable body position. That's it. I was uh, looking a couple of weeks ago. I was I jumped onto Strava and looked to see if I could find uh, Lucy Charles' data on the swim from Kona. And of course, it wasn't there. And she's posted like two sessions in the last six months. Like there's nothing there. Yeah. I was yeah I was keen just to see some of the the data from there, which she she didn't post. But I was in in Brisbane yesterday actually, and I had an hour to kill before I was coaching, and yeah. it was been a long time since i've swum in the morning in a public pool where there's kind of limited lane space and i was like all right i'm not going to set a session because it's just it's too busy i'm just going to go in there and just roll the arms over and i, I ended up swimming for for the full hour yeah. doing some 25s and 50s just some some skills a few sprints and i didn't want to get out because it was just it i was enjoying the water just being in there um having no agenda but just yeah just, just kind of getting into the groove of it and yeah. I think if you can, if you can do that and just appreciate swimming for what it is, like it's when you just forget everything else, forget the times you're doing and just enjoy moving up and down through the water. To me, yeah. it's, it's obviously very meditative and it's, it's a great feeling that I, I think when we put, when we're too forceful on, on the things that we want to try and 
achieve, yeah. then we don't tend to in, enjoy it as much. And I find that so many things in life are like that. The more you try and force it, the the less they tend to happen. If you can set your sight and then just enjoy the process, relax mm. along the way. For me, that's when things have things have happened, whether it be with my own swimming, with with effortless swimming, all those sorts of things. Like, yeah, if I don't try and force it too much, they tend to tend to come. Yeah, I agree. And it's the same with running, mate. Like I always get my athletes to look at how the Kenyans run. They're not they're not thinking about much. They're running <laughs> completely free. It's almost like well, it's not almost. They they run without even a technical focus at all. They technically don't run, you know, I guess in the Western world, perfect. In fact, they, they run quite messy. They, a lot of them pronate quite hard. But you have a look at it, the way they are running, they're like children in a playground. And, the you know, Halle Gabriel-Celesi is one of the greatest runners of all time. He still runs, like he's, he's retired now, but he won the 10,000 at the Sydney Olympics. He came over, I should have known this, the Kenyan runner. Anyway, he, he won the 10,000 and he was literally, you know, he used to run to school holding his books in his arm. And he still to, to this day as an Olympic champion runs with one arm like he's still holding the books. Now, he, hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't changed that, but he's the best runner in the world. I can, I can imagine there's a lot of biomechs that would love to get their hands on the way that he runs. But the thing is, he hasn't let it, you know, confidence compromise his running career. It's just a part of who he is. And and the reality is he runs so, so freely that there's no care, there's no force. There's no way that guy runs with too many devices either. I've seen those <laughs> guys run and, you know, they, they all, what I do love is they run as groups. It's like, mm. you know, like Kipchoge apparently has never run on his own. He runs in his groups and, and someone <laughs> like Kipchoge, like, you know, the guy's worth millions of dollars. He's the greatest marathon runner of all time. And he literally lives in these communities where, you know, they take turns cooking, they take turns cleaning the bathrooms. It's a really, really sort of monastic way of living. And I think there's something about that for triathletes and, and oh, I mean, just people, mate, just to try and pull back, get back to the fundamental roots of what we're supposed to be doing here and care a little bit less, so to speak. Because I know I used to race some guys, it was like they didn't have a care in the world. And I used, they used to beat me. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? I'm training twice as much as they are. But the reality was it was so forced and there was so much pressure put on myself from within. You know, I thought there was external pressure. And now a bit older, I realized that that was just me putting that pressure on, upon myself again. And the guys that don't care if they win or lose or the guys that can, can, can move beyond that are the ones that generally win the racing. And getting back to swimming, being meditative, the best swimmers in the world, if you watch a really good swimmer, you know, in the water, they're not really think, technically thinking too much about what they're doing. They're almost in that flow state. I sound Byron again, but they're very flowy in the water. They have nice distance per stroke. Rotation is almost immaculate. And the way that they've gotten there is by just, you know, adding these little tips to their arsenal along the way. And it becomes almost an unconscious practice where you, you dive in and you just know the basic fundamentals to help you be a good swimmer. And I think that's the biggest thing is if you want to be a good swimmer, it's going to be completely different to the person in the lane next to you. Like for me to be a good swimmer, I can't technically be trained the same as you. And that's something that I really emphasize in terms of being a being an individual coaching provider is try and look beyond the generic programming, especially in terms of technically, technically swimming, because there's no way you're performing the same as, as the guy next to you. It's like, we all have our, our own little things that we do wrong and right and, and you need to identify what those areas are and you pick up those couple of things and that's, that's part of this whole practice we spoke about and becoming a good swimmer. And you will get, if you keep practicing it year in, year out, you will get to a point where it is effortless swimming. Oh, there it is. Mate, what a, what a way to end. <laughs> it's, I, I started on your shirt, so I've got to say it. <laughs> I've got, I pull that joke way too many times in the clinics that we run. That's thank yeah, God it's right. like most, you know, most new swimmers. So I can, I can keep using it. Well, that, uh, that'll be like the swimming video, mate. That that's now your slogan. <laughs> well, that Clayton, it's been, it's been great to catch up because it's actually been a couple of years since we've caught up. I think it was probably 
2019, maybe maybe 2020 actually, that we got to catch up up in Mooloolaba. We had a swim. We had a swim. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I think that was, yeah, maybe early 2020 or, or 2019. So yeah. Now, yeah, you're a bit, you're a little bit, you're a bit flat on your rotation there, mate. I think that day. <laughs> I think I do remember you. Yeah, piece me up a little bit there. So I was still an, I was still an athlete there, mate. <laughs> well, it's been been great to catch up, and thanks so much for being on the on the podcast. I'll absolutely get you back on again, and be good to catch up in person, hopefully soon. And and it's been fantastic. So for those that are that are listening, where's the best place to get in touch with you? Well, I'm a bit of a, I call myself a swimfluencer now. <laughs> no, I'm a triathlon coach at Coach Baton Patel. I am a full-time coach at Coal Sports, triathlon coach, but I do I do coach individual sports as well. Fantastic. Well, mate, thanks again. We'll put all those links in the show notes. Get in touch with Clado if you're looking for for triathlon coaching. If you're up in Lennox at all, you can visit him there. So, mate, it's been great. Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. It's been fun. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortless.com.